Welcome, Grace Point. I uh, welcome you to a, a room full of mistakes, or a room full of people who make mistakes. You're not a mistake. Um, I need to clarify that. As we start this new series, we're going to be talking about mistakes. We'll become quite familiar with something that we're quite proficient at, uh, and that is making mistakes. We do them uh, quite regularly. I know I do. I'm sure if you are honest with yourself, you would have to say the same of yourself. That mistakes is something that we are good at. We make them quite regularly. How do we recover from them? Do they define us in, in, in the midst of all that we do? I hope not. You can learn from your mistakes, grow from your mistakes, or you can die in your mistakes. And we don't want that. And so we are going to be talking about how to avoid mistakes, certain mistakes that we never, ever want to make. And as we do this, I get to thinking this past week about some mistakes that I have made. And again, over four plus decades of my existence, I've got a whole rap sheet full of them. And I even asked you last week to go home and take this week and to be thinking about that one regrettable mistake that you made, have made, and what would that be? How would you clarify that and write that out? And maybe you write a whole book out. In fact, somebody came to me and said, I have too many that I regret, and I can't write them all down. So just write one, think of one, just using it as a seed to get started in. But I I was thinking about one that I made when I was in college. Um, It's kind of a simple, funny one now, not so funny then, but whenever I was in college, I used to have this uh, Nerf basketball hoop that would stick on the wall, stick on the door. And uh, now if you ever, ha- anybody ever have a Nerf basketball hoop, you know, that's where you as a man act like a dry, act like a boy, act like a man. And you, you, you show your vertical off the ground uh, next to a door uh, and you, you slam dunk it and you're, you're playing hoops and you pass it behind the back with your buddies. Well, we were in the college dorm room and, and I had it mounted on the wall and it came down at one time. I thought it'd be real cute and funny with it. And I just took this suction cup thing and stuck it to my forehead. And then I pulled it off. And I had the biggest red hickey on my forehead. Uh, at that point, I was didn't know what I was going to do. Rubbed it, washed it. It doesn't go away. Uh, I was dating Lori at the time. She said, well, let me bring you over some makeup. So now I'm a dude walking on campus with a hickey and makeup on my forehead. So it wasn't the brightest moment in my life. So you make those kind of mistakes. Lori made one. I'm going to tell one on her. Um, she made one one time. Whenever some a lady, a nice lady, came over to our house. It was when we were just starting the church. And uh, she invited her in. They're going to have tea or coffee or something like that. And so they they sat down. And they were doing the, the normal women compliment each other's hair, dress, and all that kind of stuff. And ended up talking about, you know, when, when are you, Lori asked this lady, when are you expecting Yes, you've done it too, or you know what happens next. Not expecting. Well, she wasn't expecting, and she never, we didn't expect her to come to Grace Point, and she never did either. So, you make those kinds of mistakes. There's two kinds of mistakes out there. I wanted to differentiate between the two kinds of mistakes, the ones we're not going to talk about, and the ones we are going to talk about. The first kind of mistakes are educational mistakes. Those were two educational mistakes. Don't take suction cups to your head unless you want a hickey on your head. You don't, don't ask some lady if she, in fact, I learned from Lori's mistakes. Uh, I've never asked, when are you expecting? You know, maybe if there's a great growth on the, on the outside of the belly, I might, maybe if somebody else is talking to her, but I don't 
normally uh, even even go there, uh, talking about uh, that whole thing. So you learn through these educational mistakes that, that make you better, wiser. You either learn it from other people, but do try things. Do go out there. In fact, Albert Einstein said it like this. A person who has never made a mistake has never tried anything new. Good, good, just, good challenge just to try to, things new. Go out on a limb. In fact, just yesterday, I was reading in, in the newspaper, just yesterday was the 45th anniversary of Apollo 13. Now, if you all saw Tom Hanks' movie a few years ago, this generation kind of caught up on what happened to Apollo 13 and, and that whole event. And in the article, NASA was quoted as saying that Apollo 13 was its most successful failure. All that they learned through that failed mission, they also walked away with tremendous knowledge that they're still gleaning, are still using to, to this very day. So mistakes can be very good and very good to us. I was walking through a store one time and saw this little magnet, took a photo of it. It says this, always make new mistakes. And I like that. Don't keep doing the same old mistakes. You're not learning. There's no education happening. Make new mistakes as you go through life. However, there is a difference between the educational mistakes and what I want to call foundational mistakes. These are unforgiving at times. You make a foundational mistake one time. One time. And it will be a game changer, paradigm changer, life changer forever and ever. Amen. You make the wrong choice when you're in a relationship with someone and you aren't faithful to that other someone. Guess what? You could easily have a game changer. 15 years in a marriage, 20 years into a marriage, you do that and you do it and it will mess you up. What have we seen happen just in the past week in our own nation? We saw this Walter Scott get gunned down by a police officer who probably, you know, I don't know anything about the police officer. I really don't know, don't want to get into judging anything about Walter Scott's life or character, but it's just wrong, immoral and wrong and unethical what happened there. And we see that game-changing mistake takes place. And when that happens, everything is different at that point. Foundational mistakes you don't want to make. You don't pay your taxes this week. This is April 15th week, okay, guys? It's a game changer for you, all right? You will have to pay somehow, some way. But learning what these mistakes are are so critical to life. And being able to make good mistakes, learning from those mistakes and avoiding those foundational mistakes are key. That disconnect that Stephen just shared about when he shared his own personal story there, that's a personal thing that he wrote about his life and the disconnect that happens. You finish this statement for me, okay? The main thing is to keep the main thing the... Some of y'all knew it. Some of y'all didn't know it. The main thing is to keep the main... If you don't know what the main thing is, then you're in trouble. Knowing what the main thing is and understanding it and and not, not getting into the disconnect... We're going to be looking at the book of Malachi. So if you have your Bibles, go to the Old Testament, find the last book in the Old Testament, and we're going to look at that, and we're going to study that and break that down over the next six weeks. And as we do this, we're going to be looking at mistakes, but not the surface-level mistakes. This is not a series to just kind of fix all the symptoms of our life, to, 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 to mask over the regrets, 
we're going to go below the surface. We're going to look at some deep, deep mistakes that we can make or that hopefully we won't make that will hopefully build us on a good future and and a good life moving forward and avoid those regrets. But those are symptoms of deeper issues that are going on in our life. Now, we're going to, you might be thinking, Mike, we're looking at a book called Malachi. And where is that? That's in the Old Testament, written about 500 B.C. So not, this is written before Christ. I mean, what, is, what relevance does this book have to us? We have been making, mankind has been making the same mistakes for years and years and years. In fact, we call those in theological circles and even in psychology, generational sins. They get passed down from generation to generation to generation. And sometimes we don't even recognize it because that's all we know. We are so unaware of what's going on. But in the book of Malachi, we're going to see something here that if we can catch it, stop it in advance, we're going to be so much better off. Let's understand, though, where we're at. Let's look at a 30,000-foot level at the book of Malachi. So Malachi is this book written about 500 B.C., and it's in the prophetics books, okay? It's in the Old Testament. It's in the prophet books. So if you break down the, the, the Bible like the, or the Old Testament like this, you have the history books. That's Genesis up to the book of Nehemiah. Then you have the poetry books, which is Job through Song of Solomon. Then you have the prophets. Now, a lot of people, when you come to the prophets, they don't know anything about the prophets. And I get it. The prophets are not easy. They're not always fun. They're written in this Old Testament poetry. It's kind of hard to understand. It's, in fact, a lot of pastors won't even go there. They'll just skip right over it. They might go to Isaiah for a day and then they'll jump out. They'll, they'll go to Jeremiah for a day and they'll jump out. But when you come to the, when you come to the Old Testament, it's difficult. When you come to the Old Testament prophets, it's really difficult. And so I'm, I'm just telling you up front, this is not easy for me. <laughs> okay. So pray for me through this series. But also look deeply into your life in this series. Because when you come to Malachi, and I've always enjoyed Malachi. In fact, I even wanted to name my kid growing up Malachi until I watched the children of the corn, and then that scared me away from that. <laughs> um, but the, 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 the book of Malachi has been one of my favorite Old Testament prophetic books uh, that, I, uh, that I've enjoyed all along. And uh, his name, Malachi, means messenger, okay? Messenger. Uh, and what, who is Malachi? He is a messenger. So it's kind of like eating at table mesa. You're eating at table table. Well, we got a messenger who's delivering a message is what we have here in, 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 in Malachi. And some of y'all are going to immediately think it. I'm hungry already. I'm going to table mesa, uh, today for lunch. But when you go, when you, when you think about it, when you think about what Malachi presents to us, he presents to us six different oracles. Oracles, we'll talk about that in a moment. He gives us six different messages to these people. In each one of them, it's very easy to outline Malachi because he starts with a, with a statement. God, the messenger, through, through the messenger, gives them a statement. This is what's wrong. They follow it up with a question. How's that wrong? Which points to the fact that there's a whole lot of lack of self-awareness. They were not aware in their own heart where they were wrong. Then he follows up with explaining to them how they're wrong. And so each week we're going to look at a different one of these and kind of break it down. But here's what my challenge to each one of you is. Some of y'all came today because you think, I got mistakes and I'm going to get answers. I got, I got a list of mistakes and I just hope he covers my mistake. 
because I got, I, I got to get help with this mistake, this regrettable, shameful mistake. And you know what? We're going to hit it. But we're not going to maybe hit it in the way you want to hit it. We're going to not hit it at this level, at the symptom level. We're going to go down to the roots. And we're going to talk about it from a very root level of where all mistakes generate from, where all of our problems and regrets and shames generate from. And we're going to look at these six different oracles that are, that are given out here. And let's not be this, this kind of surface le- level, level Christian today. Let's go deep and look into our souls and see where our souls are. But most of us don't go deep. Most of us are what I read this past week are little men. Little men with little minds and little imaginations jog through life in little ruts, smugly resisting changes that would jar our little world. We are little people. And we need to be jarred deeply. And we need to look deeply. So look at Malachi chapter 1, verse 1. He tells us a lot about who the message is from and who the message is to and gives us kind of the background to it. So let's just lay the foundation. The oracle, verse 1, the oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. Now, again, it gave you everything that I just kind of overviewed for you, but I want to focus in on the word oracle, not exactly a common everyday language. Yet, if you read the Old Testament prophets 43 different times, 43 different times does it use the word oracle. It's constantly giving oracles. The prophets are constantly giving, what's an oracle? Oracle is this, in the simplest way, it's a burden. It's an uncontrollable, I can't keep quiet about it any longer. God has given this to me. It's when you wake up in the middle of the night because you've just heard something about a friend doing something to another friend or you heard about something and it just is eating you alive. And you got to say something. And you don't know what to say and you don't know what to do and you don't know how to confront and you don't want to turn that friend away and all this kind of stuff. You are burdened. Or will you wake up in the middle of the night and you have God given you an oracle because he has said this is not right about you. And finally, when you get still enough and you get quiet enough and you listen deep enough and you're not that little man with little dreams and little imaginations living in a little world and little ruts, but God begins to shake your world down deeply, you've heard an oracle from God. What is he saying to you today? We're not going to be shallow. We're going to go deep. Let's talk about the mistakes. Again, there's six of them. We'll look at them over the next several weeks. Let's look at mistake number one. Mistake number one is misplaced priorities. Misplaced priorities. It's like a cornerstone. It's like a, it's like a plumb line. It's like a chalk line if you're building something. It's like the square end of a building that you're going to line everything else up off of. And if you get the corner wrong, If you build your house a little too close to the line and the property of of your neighbor, they're not just going to say that's okay. You're going to end up in court. There's going to be fines. There's going to be penalties. There's going to be issues because you got too close to the line. And that was based off of lines, off of priority, off of property lines. Listen, we need to have lines in our life. And that line is going to be based off, off of a point, a pivot point, a priority in our life. And if we get the lines off, the rest of the dominoes, the rest of the stacks, the rest of the issues in our life, the rest of the other priorities in our life get off. So let me ask you this. What's your number one? What's your number one priority in life? 
Don't give me the Christian answer. Don't give me the Sunday morning answer. Think about how you spend your time, your interest. Think about where you spend a lot of your devotion and where you spend your money. Think about what you dream about. What consumes you? What are you thinking about right now, even as I'm talking, that is consuming you? What is your P1, your priority one? I'm going to give you the Sunday school answer to that, and you're going to know what it is. But here's the problem. It's so many of us know what the answer is, just like Stephen so passionately said. Some of us read the red letters, and we know what they are, but, man, we don't live it. We don't live it. It's misplaced priorities. But the number one thing that we need to have, and we need to get it down, we need to make it straight, and that is that Jesus Christ is number one in our life. And what does that look like? Or what does that not look like? When Jesus is at number one. And we know from Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, a very familiar verse. We know it. We've read it. You, you, if you've been in church at any length of time, you probably have heard this. Seek first the kingdom of God above all else. Not your kingdom, but God's kingdom. And live righteously. And he'll give you everything else. He'll make all the other things fit together when he's first. When he's foremost. When he takes the priority one in your life. If he's not priority one, every other decision you make thereafter will be just off. Whether it's just by millimeters or by inches or by feet, your life will be off. If we get this one right, if we get priority one right, and we put Christ first in our life, then we can build the rest of our life and he'll put it together. In Matthew chapter 6, when he's actually giving this verse, he just gets through talking about how we worry about our, what we're going to eat, what we're going to worry about, what we're going to drink, what we're going to worry about, what we're going to live, and what we're going to wear. We worry about all these different things. And Jesus just says, hey, listen, don't focus on that. Focus on me. Put me priority one, and I'm going to fix all those other things and get them right in your life. And so learning this is vitally important. So let's look at uh, Malachi chapter 1, verse 6. We're going to look at the second oracle of the six. Now, you might think, why are we doing that? Why are we doing the first one? We're going to look at the first one next week, but we'll save that for next week. So the, the first one, again, it starts with a statement. It ends with a question. Secondly, it goes to a question, and then he breaks it down. So we'll spend most of our time breaking it down. But here's what it says in verse 6. It says, Son... A son honors his father. Makes sense. That's one of the Ten Commandments, right? These priests knew that. They could have taught that. And a servant, his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? He asked seven questions in this entire passage. Here's one of them. And if I am a master, where is my fear? There's number two. Actually, there's eight questions. I miscounted. Says the Lord of hosts, O priest, who despise my name? Whoa! You talk about jacking the jaw of some priest here. You have been despising my name. What do you mean? That's the question that they turn around and ask. How have we despised your name? Again, I point to the fact so many of us are unaware unaware of the deep issues of our own hearts. Listen closely today and each day of this series and ask yourself, today, is God number one in my life? Or do I have misplaced priorities? How am I out of line? What does that look like? So he spends the rest of the time breaking it down. What does that look like? 
What does misplaced priorities look like? Three signs of misplaced priorities. You can jot them down if you have notes. One is when you give God your leftovers. When you reach into the refrigerator of your life and you look at the, at the, at the filet mignon and you're looking at the leftovers. We call it must-go in our house. And we have must-go nights where everything must, must go if it's in the refrigerator. And we just heat it up. And it, it may not go together, but it must go. And so we eat it. Now, if a person comes to my house, a person of special interest, a person that I want to impress, a person that I really honor, am I going to pull out the must-go and serve them up? No. I'm going to pull out the filet mignon. I'm going to serve it up as best I can. That's exactly what... God goes on and says, he says, by offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? Another question. By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in a sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? And he poses this question. Present that to your governor. If the governor comes to your house, you give him your broken, lame, must go, and will and will he accept you and show you favor? What they were doing, and I know this is Old Testament, and we don't get the Old Testament. That's why we don't talk about the Old Testament. Is because here it is. He's talking about offerings. He's talking about lame offerings. He's talking about sacrifices, and we don't get that because we don't do that in the New Testament. But if you got to go back to the Old Testament, you get at the fact that the, the reality is that's how they worshipped. That's how they made those sacrifices to atone for their sins and to please God in the Old Testament. And God gave them very clear rules. You jot it down in Luke, in Leviticus chapter 22. He gave them very strict rules that you bring me the best. They cannot be lame. They cannot be blind. They cannot be bruised. They cannot be broken. You bring me the very best. That's what I deserve. When we bring God our leftovers, when we bring God our polluted, when we bring God our molded, when we bring God only what's left of our time, our talents, and our treasures, we have misplaced priorities. And it doesn't look right because God deserves. Deserves. Did you hear me? He deserves our very best. Listen, don't, if, you, if He's given us his very best, his one and only son, how can we give him the musco out of the refrigerator? How can we give him the molded, broken, bruised things of life? He deserves the very best. The message says it like this. How do you despise? How do we despise you? By your shoddy, sloppy, defiling worship. I'm going to use the word worship a lot in this message. Let me just say, what you see up here this doesn't mean worship. The praise band, the worship team. I'm not saying it's not worship, but this is not all that worship is. Worship is you and what you bring to the table. Worship is your life and how you give your life to God. That's really what worship is. And really what worship is, in its most truest, root form, it's giving worth to something. Worship. The very root of that word is worth. You ascribing worth to something. 
If I bring God my leftovers, my molded must go. What am I bringing him? I'm bringing him shoddy second-class worship to a first-class God. And when I do that, I have missed placed priorities. There's a phrase that we say around here. I don't even know where it came from. We just say it. Excellence honors God and inspires people. We just realize this, is that God deserves excellence. God deserves our best, not our second best, not our last. He deserves our very, very best. Look at verse 13. What, what a weariness this is. You snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or is sick. And this you bring as your offering. He asks another question. Shall I accept that from your hand? Are you, am, am I really? That's what you're going to give me? Your stolen, broken, lame, limping offerings? No, I deserve absolutely the best. Hosea, another prophet, said it like this in Hosea 6.6. 6, For I desire loyalty, not sacrifices. The knowledge of God, not burnt offerings. Hey, forget this stage. Forget this band. Forget what you, what you call worship. Let's just forget that. I'm not interested in that. What I really want from you, this is God speaking, I want loyalty. I want you to know me. That word knowledge is the same word for a husband and a wife knowing one another. I want you to know me intimately. I want to have an intimate relationship with you. Isaiah 42 verse 8 says it like this. I alone am the Lord your God. No other God may share my glory. There's no other place for no other God in the paradigm of the God. So is he first or is he second, third or fourth? I don't know if you've thought about this for a name for God when you're thinking about names for God, God of love, God of grace. There's so many names for God in Scripture. There's over hundreds of names for God. But here's, let me give you one of them that you probably wouldn't have had on your list. Exodus chapter 34, verse 14. For you shall worship no other God for the Lord whose name is Jealous. Is a jealous God. What is this? I thought jealousy is wrong. And yet God's name is Jealous. I know, I know I've told you this before, but I think it communicates it so well. You know, Lori was really funny 20, nearly 25 years ago when we got married. She was like at the altar, like she only wanted me to love her. She only wanted me to sleep with her. What was she thinking? You know, that's kind of, kind of, kind of, kind of exclusive of her, isn't it? I mean, after all, I mean, this, you're not getting it. The, the reality is she was jealous. And the thing is, is I made a commitment to her and she made the same commitment to me. She said, listen, you're not going to be with anybody else. I'm not going to be with anyone. We're only going to be with each other. That's a healthy jealousy. That's the same kind of jealousy here. God wants us to only love him. He only wants to be first and he deserves it. He deserves our best and our first. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9. I'm just giving you a survey of different verses throughout the scripture that point to the fact that God wants and deserves first and foremost in our best in our life. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Colossians chapter 1 verse 18. 
He is the head of the body, which is the church. Everything comes from him. He is the first who was raised from the dead. So in all things, Jesus has first place. Look at your life. It's your time and your talents and your treasures. Look at your wallet. Look at your interests. Look at your hobbies. Can you truly say that Jesus is first? I've said this before too. Let me repeat myself again because I think it's worth reemphasizing that we need to give God the first part of every day, the first day out of every week, the first dime out of every dollar, the first consideration in every decision, the first consideration in every decision. If we will just learn to practice that, I'm going to start my day with him. I'm going to start my week with him. I'm going to live my life financially with him being the first thing out of my money. I'm going to, I'm going to give him the first thought of every decision. Then I'm on my way to keeping him first in my life. First place. Number two, whenever you begin to slip away from him being priority one in your life, is when my pleasures supersede pleasing God. So in this passage, again, it's difficult to kind of get in. You have to get into the text here and see this. He kind of gets a little sarcastic. In fact, you hear the emotion of God in Malachi. You don't think God has emotions? Read Malachi. He has lots of emotions. And right now he's pretty ticked off. He's pretty upset. And so he sarcastically comes at them in verse 9, and he says this, Hey, why don't you go and treat the favor of God that He may be gracious to you, that He may be gracious to us. Why don't you go to God, bow on your knees, why don't you come to church today, and let's just talk about how God wants to bless your life. Listen, I could do this. I could write books and have sermons all day long if I wanted to say this is your best life ever and that they all, God only wants to bless you and that you can be very prosperous and he wants to give you favor. And listen, but you don't have to put God first. And the reality is that God deserves first. That's his rightful place. But what happens is many times is we come in to God's presence after we put in second, third, fourth, fifth, or sixth in our life. And then we come in here and we expect God as we bow down to Him for 5, 10, 15 minutes to give us favor, to give us grace, to give us His blessings. And we live this kind of Christianity in America today where it becomes all about us. Well, it's not about us. It's always been about Him. It's always been about him. Alan and Deborah Hirsch in their book Untamed said it very well. When first things are put first, second things are not surpassed but increased. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. When you look at Malachi, he goes on in verse 10. He really points out that it's not about your pleasures, it's about my pleasures. Oh, that there were one among you. Now notice this next statement. One among you who would shut the doors. The doors on what? The doors on the temple where they make sacrifices, where they bring these lame offerings, where they give God their leftovers. Now keep going with me. That somebody would shut the doors that they might not kindle a fire on the altar in vain. Wow. you know what God is saying here? He's saying, listen, just close grace point. Just board up the doors if all you're going to give me is second-class 
B-game leftover worship. I'm not going to listen to your singing. I'm not going to listen to your stories. I'm not going to listen to your prayers. Don't put a fire on the altar. I know this Old Testament. Let's bring it to the New Testament. Don't even put your sign out on the street. You're wasting my time and yours. That's how, that's how strict God is. I mean, that's how, that's how bold God is here. Because at the end of the day, he says, I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. See, it's not about my pleasures. It's about his pleasures. What in my life is bringing pleasure to him? What brings pleasure to him? Two questions you need to ask yourself. Does God find pleasure with my life? Are there things that I'm holding on to? Are there attitudes that I have? Are there generational sins that I've been hanging on to? I mean, you'll know if you will listen and not be again, go back to that statement I made earlier, little men with little hopes and little dreams and little minds living in little ruts. If we will go deep into our souls, we will be able to assess. Are we holding back from God? Is He pleased? But number two is, does my life make His name great? Because right after this, in verse 11 and 12, He makes it very clear what His goal is. Setting my name, He says, for this, uh, for from the rising of the sun to its setting, all day long, 24-7, 365 days. This is what life is about when he is priority number one, that my name will be great among the nations and that every place incense will be offered in my name. It's about his name, not my name. The pure offering for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it, it being his name. Go ahead, skip down to verse 14. And I am the king, I am the great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. It's about God's name. It's about His character. It's about His reputation. It's about His glory. Priority number one. If our life is about keeping Christ first and foremost in our life, it will not be about our own pleasures. It will be about pleasing Him. It will be about making His name great. And like Deborah and uh, Alan Hurst said, when you aim for that, you'll get both blessings of God and the reality that you're bringing honor to Him. You'll get the reality of His presence. You'll also get the reality of His blessings. You'll get His favor. But it's about making His name great among the nations. John Piper said, why do we have a team right now? You think about this? Why do we have a team right now in South Asia? They just landed on the ground yesterday. Why do we have a team that just, that, that, that just got back? Why do we send out these teams around the world? Is it about just going around the world? No, it's so much more than that. Missions begins and ends in worship. Again, getting God in his rightful place. Worship is the fuel of missions. What really drives all of this is about getting the greatness of God in first place in every person's soul and mind, where they're living for His pleasure, not for their pleasure, and then allowing His grace and goodness to fill our lives. Number three, the third expression, if you will, of a life that is off 
from pleasing Him and him, him being our priorities when our relationship with God lacks integrity and authenticity. Let me give it to you in a phrase. We play church. We play good. But in reality, we're hypocrites. See, when they were making these offerings and they were presenting these lame animals and these sick animals. Why? Because they're sick. God didn't care. It's the thought that counts, right? No, it's the person that counts. It's God. It's the God of gods. He deserves my best, not my last. My first. He deserves that. And so what they were doing in verse 13, they were offering these violent, broken animals to God. And then verse 14, cursed be the cheat who has, who has a male in his flock and vows it, makes a commitment. Hey, I'm going to give my very best. What about you? Yet he sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. He lacks an authentic faith. He's a poser. He looks as if he might be a true on, committed, priority one follower of Christ, but really he's giving God his second best. And he's as if he's trying, as if he can fool God. Now that's the Old Testament. Let's skip forward to the New Testament. Because the same imagery of sacrifices and pleasing to God or not pleasing to God continues to our very day. But are we killing animals? No. I mean, this room would look different and smell different if we were in here killing animals. Okay? So we're not doing that, thank the Lord for that part, that we moved into the New Testament and we're here in that time period. But look at Romans 12, chapter 1, uh, verse 1 and 2. It says, So dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God. Give your lives to God because of all He has done for you. What what, what I say earlier, He gives us His best. He deserves our best. Anything less than that is second-rate worship. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice. He's tired of the dead sacrifices. He wants the living. He wants you. He wants me. The kind that he will find. What's the next word? Say it. Say it. Acceptable. I want to present offerings, not that are pleasing to me, but that are pleasing to him. What's pleasing to him when I present myself holy and acceptable to God? This is truly the way to worship, give honor, give the right place to God. Don't copy the behavior, the customs of this world and let God transform you into a new person. By changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will. For which is good and pleasing and perfect. Uh, I challenge all of us in this room today. Don't be little men with little imaginations. And little conversations. That miss the deeper things of life. I want you to look deeply in your souls. And I want you to ask your soul this question. Is God, is Jesus Christ my absolute first priority? Am I giving Him my best? Or am I giving Him my last? Is it about pleasing me and what He gives to me and about Him showing me favor and grace? Or is it about 
me pleasing him? You're going to have to ask your soul that question. And am I truly being authentic with my relationship with him? Or am I just posing before others and even before myself? When we lived in Africa for four years, we missed a whole lot of American culture, which was not a big miss, okay? We missed movies, and we missed fast food, and we missed sitcoms. That's about all that we missed. But one of those sitcoms that came out whenever we were in Africa, we missed about half of the the seasons of it, was Everyone Loves Raymond. Now, I don't know if you love Raymond, but I mean, we, we kind of grew to where we liked Raymond. Uh, we didn't love him, but we liked it. And uh, we watched it when we got back from the States and we tried to catch up on him on past seasons and uh, for a while anyway. But on the last episode of, of nine seasons, he stands before, turns on the lights, stands before uh, his, his live studio audience and he talks to them and he shares with them after nine years of a very successful run and him becoming a quite successful comedian. And he shares with him about the day that he left New York City and drove out to Hollywood and how he was going there to be successful and live out his dreams and to become somebody, something great. His family was very scared for him because of where he was going and whether or not he would succeed or fail. His brother wrote him a letter, stuck it in his suitcase, and he kept it the entire time for nine seasons. And on the last night of the last episode, he stood before his live studio audience and he read the letter. And in that letter, it included these words from his brother, older brother to younger brother. It included these words. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and he loses his soul? Wow, what a powerful statement. But ironically, those are not just the words of an older brother of an up-and-coming comedian. The words of Jesus Christ to the world in which he was living in that day. How tragic it would be if you go through this world and you get it all, and at the end of it all, you lose your soul. The last words that, that Raymond said to the, to the audience, he said this, he said, now I'm going to work on my soul. Here's a man who had gained the whole world in comedian circles. He gained the whole world. But he also realized something. And I don't know where Raymond is today. I know he's doing live stand-up and all that kind of stuff. But I think he did realize something on that night at least, that I now need to focus on my soul. That I have it all, but I need to focus on my soul. Here's the reality. Everyone in this room today, where's your soul? Where's your spirit? Because you can build an empire, but if Christ isn't the building block of your life, You're going to stand up, wake up one day, and you're going to go, where's it all? What's it all mean? Where's it all go? Where's this all end? What's it all about? And it'll be a mistake. Listen, for some people, sad to say, some people will live their whole life, and it will be a mistake. People who gain the whole world but lose their soul, I have one word for that, mistake. Don't live a mistake. Put Christ first and build everything else after it. Would you pray with me? Father, I tell you, it's hard with this Old Testament stuff. Sacrifices, offerings, and blemishes. I don't get it all. But I do get that you want me to present myself 
holy, acceptable to you. Is my life, is my worship, is it acceptable? Well, I, I ask you that question. And Lord, I don't want to pastor this church. I don't want to, to accomplish all that the world has to accomplish and lose my own soul. I don't want anybody in this room to look at their life and say, at the end of their life, mistake. Mistake. I live based on the, the wrong plumb line, the wrong cornerstone, the wrong priority. I pray that, Lord, down deep, we'll go deep, Lord, and we'll establish you as first and foremost in our life. You are enough. May we sing it, may we know it, may we live it, may we experience it. You are enough. Lord, we bless your name, and we thank you for these moments. Now, Lord, deal with us deeply as we want to walk with you endlessly. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand and sing with us?